we're going to dip our toes in the waters here that I know we're going to, we've, we've been talking a bit about division and, and uh, polarizing issues and all the rest. Well, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to jump in with both feet here to wrap things up on this Friday morning. We're going to talk about the World Economic Forum. What is it? I mean, I know there's all kinds of, you know, there was a column recently by a well-known writer in uh, in uh, Alberta saying, you know what, it's just a bunch of rich people getting together to pat themselves on the back for um, how prominent they are and all the good things that they think about. And, 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 and there's other people think that they're plotting world domination, right? Uh, you've heard those things as well. And, and Danielle Smith recently coming out and saying that nothing to do with the World Economic Forum should be allowed in Alberta. So it's, um, it's definitely taken on a life, I think, larger than even the organizers of it had ever anticipated. But what is it? Let's just try and get an explainer as to what it actually is and see if we can get some better understanding of the whole situation. For that, we're going to chat with Marvin Ryder, an associate professor of marketing at McMaster's DeGroote School of Business. Um, Marvin, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us today. Glad to be with you, Shay. Let's just, okay, World Economic Forum. What is it? I mean, what do we know? How did it come about? What is it meant to be? Okay, so let's let's take you back to the beginning. The very first meeting of this thing happened in 1971, so that's over 50 years ago. Okay. The the person whose brainchild this was was a uh, Swiss professor, Dr. Klaus Schwab, and Dr. Schwab is still with us. He's 84 years of age, and as I understand, not necessarily in the best of health. You heard just a moment ago on your newscast that Jerry Lee Lewis yeah. passed away at 87. I don't think Dr. Schwab is that much longer with us. Anyway, his vision way back in 1971, and at that time it wasn't called the World Economic Forum. It was called the European Management Forum, and it really only had a European vision, but his philosophy was that we, different countries in the world, need to cooperate on economic issues to try to avoid some of the things that he had witnessed in his life, like the First World War, the Second World War, and those sorts of divisions. We need to somehow come together, and so you'd be correct in saying that one of his missions is globalization. It was strictly focused on Europe until 1987. That's when the name was changed into the World Economic Forum. And I suppose the most important thing that your average listener would want to know is, well, how is this financed? Is Dr. Schwab a, a billionaire uh, investors like this? And the answer is no. Um, what they do is they charge a membership fee. And there's 1,000 companies uh, who are members. They pay roughly a half a million Swiss francs. So you can do the math quickly. 1,000 times 500,000. They get 500 million Swiss francs a year. Okay. Dr. Schwab is paid a million dollar a year salary, a million, excuse me, a million franc a year uh, salary. And uh, primarily what they do, as was suggested, is they get together annually for a big conference in Davos, Switzerland, a ski resort. Uh, and there are 500 meetings of different kinds. They call them plenaries where people can get together. And mostly it's really businesses talking to business and talking about multinational economic integration. Now, invited, in addition to the people who pay to be there, are political leaders. And there's, there's always been a controversial list of these over the years. Uh, Prince Andrew has attended these. Prime Minister Trudeau has attended these. But they don't attend them every year. They have to be specially invited. And so usually the World Economic Forum will set a theme this year, for instance, its theme was uh, the Russia-Ukraine conflict, and so they would invite various people. No Russians went to the World Economic Forum, so they really only heard the sort of Ukrainian side of the story. And in this discussion, it was including things like rebuilding Ukraine afterwards. Um, 
one last quick note, and then I'll give this back to you. I mentioned globalization. So generally speaking, these meetings get held annually, and oh, there's a lot of talking, but a little short on activity. But whenever the forum is held in a year when there is something bad happening globally. So a couple of years ago, it was COVID, the pandemic. Back in 2007-8, there was sort of a global recession. This is when the conference reminds people, well, you know, if we would do more cooperation, we might be able to avoid some of the ill effects of these things. And it was at the forum back in 2020, at the early days of COVID, that this whole concept of what was called the Great Reset, and this is what has led conspiracy right. theorists to, to many things. All the Great Reset was was to say, you heard a lot of people saying, well, we want to get through COVID and go back to the way the world was. And what the World Economic Forum says, well, maybe there's a better place we should go towards. Maybe we can reset some of the world's economies and deal with some other issues rather than simply trying to go back to the old way. Maybe we can move towards some new way, but they're never very clear on what that new way is. So I, I view them quite benignly, as, as you said earlier, a bunch of rich people getting together, talking about issues, high on talk, low on action. Well, that's the question I have here. Do they have any way of, other than influence, I guess, um, setting policy, dictating anything like that? Or is it merely a, 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 a big chin wag and, and, and a get together? I mean, how, how does it get to the point of their controlling the world? Yeah. Well, I would say I don't see them controlling the world. Now, to your to your comment, you could argue that this week-long conference is a, a form of lobbying. And so if I invite, say, a president of the United States or the leader of China there, they're not just going to give their speech, get back on a plane and fly away. They're going to be schmooze. They'll be at dinners. They'll be at cocktail parties and different people both businesses, mm -hmm. but other political leaders will try to grab their ear and share something. So there's a lot of lobbying that goes on, but they don't set any policy. Okay. And the only way they really have an influence is if one of these political leaders say, oh, you know, that's a really interesting idea. I'm going to take that back to whatever country I'm from and see if we can have a vote on it. It, it is very hard for me to point at any one activity over the last 50 years that I can say if it wasn't for the World Economic Forum, that would not have happened, whatever that is. Oh, okay, okay. I was going to ask if there's any examples of coming anything that we can point a finger to. Um, the other one is why do politicians? Go, I mean, is it just wanting to hang out and and rub shoulders with the rich and famous and the glitter? Why do politicians flock to these things? We know some have said they'll never go again, but they did before. I mean, why do so many politicians take part? Yeah. Well, remember again that the members of the World Economic Forum, there's 1,000 of the world's largest businesses. Now, define that as businesses that do at least $5 billion of activity. So if I was a leader, I'm a leader of Canada, or frankly, if I was the, the premier of the province of Alberta, and I was invited, remember, not everybody gets an invitation, mm -hmm. and I have a chance to talk to leaders of $5 billion corporations, and I think Alberta is a really good place that you should be operating in, but for whatever reason, I'll make up a name and say, Amazon, you're not there, or Microsoft, you're not there, and I get a chance to do some one-on-one -on -one lobbying, I'm going to do that. Keep in mind that most of the times I'm not going to get the chance because I'm not going to be invited. So I, I would go. I'd like to make my high-profile statement and get my little moment in the, the glitterati, as you say. But I would also love to talk to some people who may, I would like to see become part of my Alberta economy or the Canadian economy. And so I'm going to press my case as much as they're going to press theirs. Gotcha. Okay. Um, in terms of 
where this might go with everything, the way it's exploded and become such an issue, and so many politicians now trying to distance themselves from it. Could it be um, ending, or is are there any other groups out there that have a similar stated goal? I mean, what's the future of these international forums like this, do you think? Well, I think international forums are going to continue. Generally speaking, we've realized, pandemic is a great example, that that wasn't just a Canadian issue or a North American issue. It touched everybody. We all have something in common. That was also the thought behind the United Nations that was formed in 1948, that we're all stewards of the world that we're on. So even things like climate change, we do need to get together as a a series of countries in the world. I think there's around 194 individual countries in the world and talk about issues that trans and send our borders. Now, will the World Economic Forum continue? You've asked uh, uh, at least a 500 million uh, 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 pound question here. Um, Dr. Sh- uh, Dr. Uh, um, oh my gosh, his name just went from my mind here. Uh, Dr. Schwab is yeah. getting old. He's 84. He has tried twice to bring in somebody and move into sort of leader emeritus status while somebody else becomes the president. And both of the two people that he brought in uh, are no longer with the organization, in both cases accused of taking some financial incentives to try to influence policy. Dr. Schwab has always kept himself above that fray. And so uh, it is a really good question that if Dr. Schwab were to die tomorrow, will the World Economic Forum continue on? Because they collect nearly 500 million Swiss francs a year to operate on, that's a lot of money. A Swiss franc is worth more than a Canadian dollar. Uh, I think there will be. It's such a... Um, it's, it's a profitable, not-for-profit business. They, they bring in a lot of money. They actually have tax-exempt status in Switzerland because they are a not-for-profit organization, but there's a lot of cash that comes in here. Uh, and if you ask Davos, all of those people coming in oh, yeah. is a great economic activity for them. So I think there will be pressure to keep this thing going, again, keeping in mind that it's very hard to show you specific results they've achieved, but to bring the world's leaders together, business leaders together, and talk shop, I think it'll still go on in some form. I'm just not sure who will be leading it. Okay, last one, and then I'll let you go, and I really appreciate your time. And we've all seen the clip, and I'm getting reminded by everybody on the text line, well, then how come Klaus Schwab has come out and said, we've infiltrated governments all around the world, and we have this leader, and we have that leader. Um, Explain that. Yeah. So uh, in addition to the conference, of course, again, when you start bringing in that kind of money, you got to do some other things. So along with the big Davos conference that happens in January, they also hold some regional conferences around the way. And then they created uh, what they called the Young Leaders uh, Group. And this was them looking at both political and business leaders, and they would invite them to a different conference. So they didn't go to the big World Economic Forum in Davos, but they would have opportunities for these who they've identified as potential future leaders and invite them to something and, again, expose them to speakers and all this sort of thing. So uh, if you take Ottawa as an example, Justin Trudeau at one time was identified as a future young leader. Right. By the way, so was the son of, of Muammar Gaddafi. So, you know, they try to play across the political spectrum, and they say, let's try to get somebody in their 20s and 30s, maybe before they become a prime minister or a president, but somebody who might one day be in those positions and expose them to some of the concepts that we talk about. Their basic underlying concept is one that we are better together, globalization, than we are independently. And that's the, that's the message they push 
but of course, again, it's me like it'd be like me as a Rotary Club saying I want to help some of the brightest people in Edmonton achieve great things. So I pick them when they're 17. Some of them go on to achieve great things. Some of them don't. So not all of these young leaders go somewhere. But the comment is that, look, this is the influence we've had. Because if you look at Christia Freeland, she had been invited. Mm-hmm. Pierre, uh, Justin Trudeau, he had been invited. And I'm sure there are some on the conservative side. Oh, sure. Michelle Garner has talked about how she was invited as well, yeah. Right. So, you know, they're just, they're, they're picked. Uh, they have these committees around the world and try to bring them together. Again, this is their mission. They want to keep promoting a global agenda as opposed to a, an individual agenda. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, Marvin, thank you so much. A uh, great breakdown. I really appreciate it.